Matthew chapter number six is kind of where we're going to start from today. And uh, before we get started, let's go ahead and we'll go to the Lord in prayer and uh, ask his, his blessings and uh, his guidance in this. And so let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. We do thank you for all that you do for us. And thank you, Lord, for loving us. And Lord, we thank you for your word that we have to uh, read and study and, and to learn about you, Lord, and to get guidance and direction in our lives and to grow from it, Lord. And Lord, I just ask you that you please be with us today and help us as we study, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would just direct my thoughts and, and guide my thoughts in this discussion, Lord, as we uh, look at this topic today. And I pray, Lord, that you be with those who aren't with us. I know uh, Peter's not feeling well, and you've got some that are traveling, some are working, different things. I just pray that you would be with each of them. And Lord, I just pray, have your will and your way in this service. And Lord, help us to grow, help us to uh, prioritize you and put you first. Lord, we just thank you so much for all that you do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so what we've been looking at lately is we've been looking at uh, growing as Christians, and we've been looking at spiritual health. And so for us as Christians, we, uh, we begin when we're born again, we are babes in Christ. And uh, this morning we've kind of had a, a, the service uh, kind of uh, centered on the, the little ones so far, just our time before church and things. And so we understand we've been around babies. We, we know what babies are like whenever they, whenever they are first born in the early stages as they're learning and as they're growing. And it's a, a great thing. But with a baby, we want to see a baby grow. It would be pretty pathetic to see someone 20 years old and still acting like a 20-month-old, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so we desire to see growth amongst babies, and much of it happens naturally, but there can be things that if we deprive a baby of, and if we allow in a baby's life, it will stunt their growth. It will keep them from maturity. It will keep them from growing. And so in our Christian lives, we're compared to uh, babes in Christ, and we've seen in the in the Bible that uh, our growth as Christians is not something that is going to be happening uh, completely on its own. That it's something that we have to uh, we have to facilitate, and we have to cooperate with God in our growth. And we said that there can be Christians that have been saved and even in church for all of their lives, and still not growing properly, still not maturing. And that's not our desire. We want to mature. We want to grow. We want to see ourselves increasing. And that's what our goal has been in this study. And so what we've been looking at, we've been seeing that we need to put ourselves in the right environment, be putting the right things into our lives to bring us uh, spiritual health and growth. And I keep saying uh, spiritual health and growth, but here's the thing. If we're spiritually healthy, we're going to be growing as a byproduct. Right. Okay. Health brings growth. And so the things that bring about our health and our growth as Christians is what we've been looking at. And in our, uh, in our first week, we looked at uh, God's Word in our growth. And so God's Word is our spiritual food. It is our nourishment. And through God's Word, we uh, learn about our relationship with God. We learn about who He is and what He's done for us. We learn about His perspective on this world and uh, it works to correct our thinking. It works to correct our priorities. And it refocuses us and recenters us on the things of God. And so we, we can grow through God's Word. And then the next thing that we looked at was uh, 
was prayer because prayer puts our focus and our dependence on God so that we aren't uh, trying to do it ourselves. Uh, just a thought that come to my mind in this idea of prayer is a small child, they can attempt to do a lot of things, but they have a lot of limitations. There's so many things that a small child can't do that an adult can. And so if that child is wise, they're going to look to someone greater than themselves to help them in the things that they can't do. And I've used the illustration before whenever the kids were young and they couldn't reach something and they would almost break their neck trying to climb and trying to do it by themselves rather than uh, asking me or Les to get it. We could be standing right beside of them and they would be climbing on the cabinets trying to get to something whenever if they would just ask, we could reach up and hand it right to them, right? And so whenever we think about prayer, it's communication with God. It is going to Him with our needs. It is taking all of our cares, all of our concerns to Him for Him to help us to bear those. It is seeking His wisdom. It's seeking His guidance, His direction, His companionship in our lives, okay? And so uh, parents aren't just there to reach the things on the high shelves for the kids, but they are also there for guidance and for direction and for help and for companionship throughout life. And so all these things we see as a parallel to our Christian life and to our relationship with God. And also we saw that prayer, and this is something that I also want to point out, that prayer is a way of uh, making sure the relationship between us and God is okay. Communication is important in any relationship. And so whenever we pray, it says that we can come to him whenever we sin, whenever we do things that are offensive to him, and we can uh, confess our faults, and he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so these are the reasons we go to God in prayer. The next thing that we looked at was uh, church and Christian relationships, that in our Christian life, in order for us to have spiritual health, in order for us to grow, we need one another. And we see in Hebrews chapter number 10, verses 24 and 25, that we uh, consider one another and provoke one another to love and to good works. And so this is the idea of an interdependence on a Christian family, on a Christian relationship. And we find in the Bible that we are the family of God. If you are saved, if you're born again, you've been born into a family. And so you spend time with your family. And from a family, uh, you learn a lot, right? And so you think back whenever you were a child growing up in a home. Um, now, not everybody has a good experience at this, but you are going to learn how to interact in a society. You're going to have, learn how to interact in the real world through the, the microcosm, if you will, of the family. And so this is something me and Les have talked about with the girls because she grew up basically as an only child. Her brother was a lot younger than her. And so we have three girls that are close in age, and they are constantly bickering and fighting and arguing with each other. Well, why are they fighting and bickering and all that? They are learning how to deal with other people, right? And so with that, they are getting an idea of how to uh, communicate, how to sort through problems, how to go, right? And they are learning from other people's experience. One of the, the things that the girls have often complained about, they're like, Emily didn't get in trouble here as much as what we did. I said, it's because she was learning from the two of you. She was seeing your mistakes, <laughs> Right? And so whenever we think about Christian relationships and 
and church and whatnot. We are learning from one another's experience. We have a benefit of being able to bear one another's burdens and to encourage one another and to strengthen one another, to restore one another whenever there's times of failure and trouble. And so there's all of these things going on in our Christian life, and it strengthens us, and it builds us, and it gives us spiritual health. It provides for spiritual growth. Yeah. And whenever we see that growth, we see that we are uh, maturing. We are bringing up. We are behaving differently. We are bring, bearing a different fruit. Mm-hmm. And we talk about uh, uh, healthy trees and mature trees bear fruit. Yeah. And as spiritually speaking. The Bible talks about spiritual fruit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, kindness, goodness, uh, long-suffering, all of these things. There's always a couple of them that I forget and the girls point out later on. And so there's these fruits that are cultivated in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives because we are maturing and we are growing and we are healthy. And so if we are lacking those fruits, it is generally either uh, a lack of maturity or a lack of health. And whenever we think about maturity, it takes time to grow. So we have to be patient with ourselves. That's something else we've talked about with spiritual growth is it's a lifelong process. It takes patience. And so it's progress, not perfection, okay? And so last week, what we looked at is just as there are some things that we need to maintain health, there's things that we need to be putting ourselves in the presence of, in the environment of, that we need to be funneling into our lives there are other things that we need to be staying away from. And so you take a tree, uh, if there is disease that gets into that tree, if there are pests that come in, they get some kind of a a mite or a fungus or something like that that comes, it will cause unhealth within that tree and it'll become unfruitful, right? And so in our lives, there are things that we can uh, subject ourselves to that are going to hinder us, that are going to uh, hamper our growth. Okay, they're going to keep us from uh, the health that we need and the the growth that we need. And so we talked about last week several different things. We talked about how uh, the people that we surround ourselves with can hinder us. If you have yourself constantly surrounded by ungodly influences, it's going to affect your heart. It's going to affect your mind, your thought processes and things. Uh, Another thing that's going to hinder our health and our growth is going to be the entertainment and such that we subject ourselves to. If you're constantly getting uh, a ungodly worldview and uh, entertainment that glorifies sin and wickedness and all these things, if you're constantly having these things filling in your mind, if that's constantly what's going in your eyes and in your ears, it's going to affect the way that you think. It's going to affect the way that you feel. It's going to affect your attitude toward others and toward God. And so these things work as... Uh, uh, as hindrances, they work as almost like a disease or a fungus on a tree, preventing fruitfulness, preventing spiritual health and growth. And so we allow these things into our lives. They're going to have a negative impact. And we're going to look and we'll say, I don't know why I'm not making progress. I don't know why I'm not growing. It could be because of the things that we have let into our lives. And so I compare that with being the gatekeeper. You have to allow Uh, You have to decide what you allow in your life. Just like you have a door on the front of your house, that door is there to let certain things in and keep certain things out, right? And so if you come to my house, uh, most likely with any of you all, I'm going to let you in, right? 
But there are others, if they come to my door, I'm not going to open it for them. I'm going to refuse them entrance. Why? Because there are some things that are good for my family and some that are bad for my family. If you're going to come in and cause harm to my family, I'm not letting you in my house, right? And so why would we do any different in our lives? And so we have to walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, the Bible says, because uh, there are things that we have to judge. We have to decide, is this beneficial to me? Is this good for me? The Bible says all things are lawful, but all things edify not. And so we have to decide what is going to be good, what is helpful, what is healthful to me, and we allow those things in, we keep the others out. Okay, so that's kind of a review of where we've been over so far. And so today what we're going to be looking at is something that I said the, the, the babies have already been a, an illustration on today. But the next thing I want to look at is stewardship in our lives, because stewardship has to do with our, uh, our attitude, our perspective toward the blessings and the benefits that God has given us. Okay. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today, and I'm hoping to have a, a, some discussion. We've had some of that lately. I enjoy that. I like to have your all's input, and so hopefully you all will interact with me a little bit, okay? We will see. But anyway, uh, I'll acknowledge ahead of time that this can be somewhat of a, uh, a sticky subject, and so that's fine with me. We can discuss those things, but... What I mean whenever I'm talking about stewardship, um, I, I know I had you turn to, to Matthew chapter 6, but I'll, I'll just quote over there in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 20 says, We are not our own, we are bought with a price. And so therefore we should glorify God. Uh, I'll, go, I'll go ahead and turn over there because I'm not quoting it properly. But I'll be back in just a minute. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6 and 20. Verse number 19, I'll go ahead, 6 and 19. What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And so we, whenever we are saved, we are purchased by him, we are bought of him, we belong to him. And so we are no longer our own. And so what I said there a moment ago is that the, the babies have been an example this morning uh, because as we see with young children, with those who are immature, uh, there is a possessiveness, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. One of the first words that babies are going to learn after they learn mama or uh, daddy or whatever, they're going to learn mine, <laughs> yeah. right? Y'all yeah. remember that? Kids were young, mine, mine. And so a lot of people engage in different ways of teaching their children to share and uh, to be generous and things like that. But they have this idea of these things belong to me and they protect them viciously. Yeah. And they get upset if, they're, uh, if their things are infringed upon. Yeah. Okay? And so as we're looking at this today, we realize that we belong to God that we are his, that he is our father, we are his children. And that the Bible says that every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights, it says, in whom there is no variableness nor shadow of 
turning. And so it says that he is the source of all blessings and of all good things. And so in our lives, we have to uh, evaluate our attitudes toward the things that we possess, toward the things of this world. And part of that, uh, we can look at it in many different areas. We can look at it in uh, our time. We can look at it in our um, our talents, our abilities, all of these different things, uh, and then into our possessions as well. And we can say, these things belong to me, and so I'm going to use these things in the way that I see fit, right? But we see in the Bible that there is a different perspective that we have as Christians realizing that we are not our own. We are bought with a price. And so we are to glorify God with all of the things that he has given us. And so with that, we we understand as Christians, or we should understand as Christians, that he is the source, that he is the provider of all things that we have. And so that gives us a different perspective on our life and on this world. And so I've already had you turn to Matthew chapter number six. Let's go ahead and read. I'm going to read several verses here to give us a little bit of a, a direction. Matthew six, we'll look at starting with verse number 19. Matthew six and verse 19. It says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now pay attention to that verse. Verse number 22, it says, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. So there in verse number 22 and verse 23, it talks about your eyes being, uh, what does it say, single or evil. And that's talking about our focus, our direction. Uh, whenever they are single, it means you have a singular focus. You are uh, not double-minded. Whenever it talks about your eyes being evil, it means you're trying to go two different ways. So basically, you're either cross-eyed or wall-eyed, right? <laughs> Spiritually speaking. And so this is where it's saying that I am straddling the fence is one way that we would put it trying to uh, live in one world and in the next, having one foot in the church and one foot in the world, okay? This is what it's talking about, and it says that you cannot serve God and mammon. And that word mammon is talking about materialism. You can't live uh, and try to uh, live for the things of God and live for the things of this world at the same time. They are completely opposed one to the other, and so... This is where it goes back to where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. One of them will win over your heart at the expense of the other. So either God has your heart and you are living for him, or this world has your heart and you're living for it. You can't have it both ways. And so we come down to verse 25. It says, Therefore I say unto you, 
Take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Wherefore, or therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. Verse 33, But seek ye first. That word first means priority, right? That is going to be your focus, your priority. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And so we read quite a uh, quite a passage there, and this is this is a fairly familiar passage of scripture. These things are uh, things that we're well versed in, things that we know, verses that we can quote, and things. But oftentimes, though we have a head knowledge of it, it never actually comes down into our heart. And so this is, if you've got the words of Christ in red in your Bible, these are the words of Jesus, okay? These are things that Jesus is trying to teach his uh, disciples because here is where we get hung up in this life, is we get uh, tied up in the rat race, as they say. We get our focus on this life and on this world and upon the things of this world, and they gain our heart, our focus, our priority, and so we make our life about making a living, right? We make our life about getting ahead. We, uh, as the saying goes, trying to keep up with the Joneses, right? There's not a whole lot of Joneses here. Maybe it's the the Farrells or the something else. I don't know what they have here. But anyway, so you have this idea of trying to keep up. And so it uh, captures our heart. It captures our focus. And we get distracted away from what is truly important, what is truly valuable. And so what ends up happening, it's kind of like Melody and Kyra there just a little bit ago, is we see these things that we are wanting and we are grasping for and we are trying to hang on to, and we are afraid to let them go. And we have our focus on temporary things, on things that uh, are not necessarily important. Things maybe we need, but things that are not the the end that we're seeking for, okay? And so what God is telling us, what Jesus is telling us in this passage is that if we seek him first, if we make our lives about what pleases him and we are seeking out his will, seeking to be close to him, seeking our spiritual health, our growth, and living for him, that as a byproduct, okay, not our focus, not our root, not our cause, but as a byproduct, 
he is going to see to it that our needs are met. Okay? But what ends up happening, if we seek him, he's going to take care of us. Okay? If we seek to take care of us, then we are going to be spiritually unhealthy and we are going to be alienated from him. Okay? And so this is an idea of priority, but it's also uh, a test of our faith. Okay? It's a test of our faith because we have all of these exceeding precious promises in the Word of God. We know that God is good. We know that He loves us. We know that He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We know that He can take care of us and provide for us. We know all of these things up here. But sometimes it doesn't come down here. And so what ends up happening is we say, yes, I know the verses. I remember all those things. But we put all of our time, our efforts, and our energy into all of the things of this earth and trying to uh, get the house, the car, the promotion, the finances, the wealth, all these different things that this earth has to offer, and we neglect the things of God. And I said this is a test of our faith because do we really believe what God says? Do we really believe what the Bible says about God? And so as an example of this, we can look back in the Old Testament and we can see time after time that God is dealing with the Jews and he says that if you seek me first, I'll take care of you. Isn't that kind of a summary of it? If you are looking to me for your protection, there will not be an enemy that stands before you. Okay? If you're looking to me for provision, your fields will produce plenty for you. He told them, we looked at this on Wednesday night a few weeks ago, he told them uh, that they were to have a Sabbath. Every seventh, seventh year, they were to let their fields lie idle, right? Don't plant the seventh year and trust God to provide enough in the sixth year to get you until the eighth year, right? And so the Jews did not trust God in his promise, and they went ahead and they planted the seventh year as well. And they squandered the plenty that God had given them. And then God did not bless their crops, didn't bless their fields, because they were depending upon themselves and their abilities to prosper them. Right? Because they didn't trust God. And so where this comes to us in our Christian growth is, as I said, it is a test of our priorities. It is a test of our faith. Do we take God at his word? Do we believe that he is good, that he is in control, and that he is able to make all things prosper toward us? And if we believe that, it doesn't mean that we quit our jobs. It doesn't mean that we sit at home and do nothing. It doesn't mean that we focus our attention, we do nothing but read and pray, and we uh, try to uh, make some sort of a monastic settlement somewhere and go away from all society. No, that's not what it's saying. But it comes down to our priorities, our focus, our trust. And so we go through our lives seeking after God. We say, okay, I belong to him. I can trust him. He's going to take care of me. So I'm going to do the things that please him. I'm going to work my job. I'm going to take care of my family. But I'm not going to get tied up in the things that I possess. I'm not going to depend on myself to make things work but I'm going to do the best that I can and I'm going to trust God to take care of me from there, okay? 
And with that, it is a liberating thing. We've talked about this several times. I've, I've said how whenever we get our focus right and we look at these things right, that it is liberating because it takes the pressure off of us and puts it on God. He is able to handle that, right? And so one of the words that I used at the beginning of this was stewardship. Okay, we've all heard that word before, right? And so what does it mean to be a steward? Can anyone tell me? <clears throat> Okay, to be under control of something, specifically something that belongs to someone else, right? And so a stewardship is that you are being entrusted with something that belongs to someone else, okay? And so if we look at our lives and say, this life that I have been given has been given to me by God, and he has entrusted me with this life, to use it for his glory. That's a different perspective, isn't it? How does the world, how does people typically look at the life that they have? Sometimes not very, um, it feels like not satisfied. Okay. Not satisfied? So there is, I guess, not being satisfied, there is a hunger for more than what they have. Okay? So they're going to be seeking more and more and more, and we find that that's never going to be filled, right? The Bible warns us and says that, uh, uh, that those who uh, desire labor to be rich will be uh, pierced through with many sorrows. That's the idea of never being satisfied. If they're seeking after, they're trying to amass more and more and more and more, it's never going to be enough. And instead, it's going to cause them to engage in many things that are harmful, unhelpful, that is going to destroy themselves, right? We looked at Lot, what was it, last week? Yeah, we looked at Lot, and Lot was uh, with Abraham, and was God taking care of Lot whenever he was with Abraham? Was he providing for him well? What brought about Abraham and Lot separating? Too much riches, okay? And so they had been blessed to the place where they had an abundance, and it says that Lot and Abraham's herdmen were fighting with one another because the land wasn't big enough to contain them, okay? And so what was Lot's desire? Why did he go toward Sodom and Gomorrah? Okay, so he saw the well-watered plains. And so there is much pasture. There is plenty of places to feed. My flocks are going to increase exponentially there. So he says, I've got a bunch. I want more. And that desire for more caused him to ignore his spiritual health, the health of his family, because he was seeking after gain. And Lot lived out that verse where he pierced himself through with many sorrows, seeking after riches, right? And so Lot is a great illustration for us of the person who is never satisfied, 
of the one who God has blessed abundantly, but yet they took for granted the blessings of God, thought they were for themselves. They sought to amass more and more, and as a result, they went further and further away from God, right? And so this brings about in our lives, we are stewards of the things that God has given us. We look at it, we say, okay, this life is God's, and he's entrusting me with it. How am I going to live this life for the glory of God, right? And so I asked her a minute ago, and Jennifer had answered, how does this world see life, the life that God has given them? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind whenever I think of that, and I may have uh, not phrased the question real well, but the first thing that I think of is uh, this world sees their life as their own. This is my life. So I'm going to live it the way that I want to. No one can tell me what to do, what to be. I am going to determine my way. I'm going to make my own road. I'm going to do what I want to do. And is that not the mantra of our society today? Is that not the way that they have uh, focused their lives and the purpose of life, is that not what they have seen, what they have portrayed for us? And so for us as Christians, we fall into this trap of thinking our life is our own. And we have to set out, we have to make things happen. We're going to determine our direction. We're going to determine what's best for us. We are going to live this life in a way that makes us happy. We're going to uh, use this life and abuse this life in a way that increases self, that promotes self, and so it all becomes about me, okay? And so that is the perspective that this world comes from. But we see very quickly as Jesus is correcting this, that this life isn't for us to do with it whatever we will. It isn't for us to seek to increase, for us to follow our dreams and to follow our heart and to do the things that we think is going to make us happy. Because we've already talked about this in the past, we are self-destructive creatures. Just as children, just as babies, uh, whenever they are young, our main purpose as an adult, as a parent, is keeping them from killing themselves. Something that we've had with Melody is we have the stairs just outside of the, the setting room there, and we have a gate up there now at the bottom of the stairs. And if she finds that gate open, first thing she does is try to scurry up those stairs. And, you know, you've all seen Melody. She does not have the, the abilities to be able to do that safely. She climbs the stairs. She's going to fall down on her head. She's going to get hurt, right? And so there's been plenty of times we go out in the hallway. We see she's halfway up the stairs. We're like, oh, no, she's going to fall. She's going to hurt herself. And so there's all these different ways. Now she's reaching up and grabbing things off of the counters and off the table. And I had a talk with the girls this week. I said, okay, we're going to have to get ourselves in the habit of not leaving things on the edges. You know, because we're used to leaving a knife right there. You make a sandwich, you leave the knife on the counter. She reaches up, grabs it, she's running around with a knife. That's not good. And so, so much of our lives as parents or having a, a little one in the house is keeping them from self-destruction, Right. 
And so where I was going with all that is whenever we think that we are the captain of our lives, that we know what's best for us, and that we are going to set out to do what we want to do, whereas that little child bent on self-destruction. And so whenever we focus that way and say, this life is mine, and I'm going to do with it what I want to do, we are going to implode. We are going to leave behind ourselves all sorts of baggage and heartaches and problems, and it's going to affect all of our relationships. It's going to affect our families. It's going to affect our mental health. And God knows that that is not the way that we should live. And so what does he tell us? He tells us that we need to seek him first. Make our lives about him. If you want true success, if you want true riches, if you want something that is actually going to last, something that's going to matter, you need to make your life about him first. Because he loves us and he takes care of us. Right, And so back to our, our example with parents and the children here. The safest, the healthiest, the best place for Melody is going to be close to her parents. Where she's going to have the less uh, dings and bangs and bruises and heartaches and troubles is whenever she is listening to us as we are guiding her and directing her and helping her through this life, right? And whenever she realizes that she needs to allow someone else to be in charge of her. Not this idea, I do it myself, right? And so that carries over into our lives, our relationship with God. And we realize that he is in a much better position to be entrusted with our lives, that his priorities for us are much better and healthier for us than the ones that we have for ourselves, okay? We have to control the appetites that we have because they're harmful. And the reason I say that, uh, back to the idea of the, the child again, uh, do you think that a child is the best one to determine their diet? What happens if you give a 10-year-old the choice and they get to be in charge of meal prep and determining what their diet's going to be? Sugar. <laughs> Turn over that responsibility to a 10-year-old. By the time they're 13, they're diabetic, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so the same thing goes with us is the, the priorities that we set and the desires that we have is that we start making it about us and we determine uh, we're going to amass as much of this as we can and uh, the Bible tells us that the love of money is the root of all evil. We're familiar with that passage, right? And so that's just an example for us. Love of money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say having money. It doesn't say that money itself. A lot of times the people who love money the most have the least of it, right? But it says the love of money. Why? Because that becomes a priority, right? And so whenever they love money, whenever that becomes a priority for them, that becomes what they seek after most, what they have an unhealthy desire for, and what they're willing to sacrifice all other things for. And so money ends up being a cruel master, 
And so how is it the root of all evil? Think about the things people do in order to gain money. They're willing to exploit one another. They're willing to... Uh, they're willing to engage in all sorts of vice and sin and different things in order to gain wealth. They're willing to mistreat other people. They're willing to abandon the things that are important and abuse their own families, abandon their own families. And also, as it says here, you can't serve God and mammon. They abandon God as well. And so we need to have a proper attitude a proper relationship with possessions and with the things that God has blessed us with, okay? Um, I've got so many different passages written down here that I could go through. But my main focus, my main point in all of this is for us to realize that God has given us a life the Bible says life is but a vapor. It appears for a little time and vanishes away. He's given us this vapor, this short period of time, to do things of eternal consequence. Verse number 19 says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon this earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so for us in, in thinking about spiritual health, we need to determine what is our treasure? What is it that we value? What is it that we are putting our time, our efforts, our energy into? What is it that has our heart? Is it God? Or is it this world? Where are we investing the most? Where are we putting the most energy into? Because if we lived out this life as if it is our own and that this is all that we have, and we put all of our time and our energy into the here and the now, you might be able to amass great wealth. You might be able to have many things, but what advantage is it? But instead, we see here that we can uh, send before us treasures in heaven. We can lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. How do we lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven? We steward this life. We look at it as this is a gift of God. This is something that he owns, that he possesses, and I'm going to live it for the things that are important to him. Right, I'm going to focus and uh, on the things that he would have me to focus on, and so that brings us back down to verse number 33 again. But seek ye first. It doesn't say seek you only, by the way. It's priority, not that this is our only focus, but it's our first, our most important focus. Seek you first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Whenever we think about the kingdom of God, that is God's reign over this world, over this life. And so I'm seeking God to be in charge. I'm seeking God to be in control. And I want my life to be righteous before him. I want to live right. I want to be doing his will. And so you focus on doing God's will. And it says here, there's a promise here. These things shall be added to you. What is it? Food, clothing, houses, all of these different things. He is going to take care of your needs whenever you are seeking him first. 
whenever you are seeking the things that are important to God, he's going to make sure that you have what you need in this life. And that is a principle and a promise from God's word. Y'all realize that? And so you set your affections on things above. You seek after him. You seek to do his will. And he's going to make sure that you have enough. Now, there are those amongst prosperity preachers and whatnot that will try to take these principles that we find here and say that if you serve God, then God's going to bless you. Your bank account's going to be full and your car is going to be new. And you're going to have... That's not what this says. It says you worry about the things of God and God's going to make sure you have what you need. Not what you want, but what you need. He's going to see to it that you are taken care of. Another passage we can look at here. Um, let me see here. Mark chapter number 10. Anybody have anything to say or to add to this as we're going on? Mark chapter 10, verse number 28. It says, Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed you, followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sister or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. But many that are first shall be last and the last first. And so what Peter asks there is he says, Lord, we have given up much for you. What shall we get? That It actually says that in one of the other the parallel passages. What shall we receive? What shall we get from this? And the Lord reassures him and he says, no man is going to uh, give up anything, make any kind of sacrifice, but that I won't repay generously. Now, that's not the idea of, okay, I give a, a hundred euros and God gives me a thousand. It means that whenever you live for him, he's going to take care of you. And I've seen that in my own life. And there's uh, things that I have uh, sacrificed, things that I have given, and I have seen God's blessing in return. And I've seen God take care of me time and time again. And I believe that that is completely uh, according to this principle here, where if you look first to the things of God, he's going to take care of you. Uh, just for instance, and this isn't to glorify me, okay? I'm using this as an example. Uh, for my family, we, uh, we left everything that we had in the States and we came here, right? We had a house, we had jobs, we had different things. We had quite a few possessions and things like that. And we had family back there. And we left that and we came here. And God has taken care of us every step of the way. And he has blessed us every step of the way. And he has brought more people into our lives. He's given us a family here. And so he's taken care of all of our needs. And now he didn't bring us here to, to make us rich and make us wealthy. But he has taken care of us because we have, uh, we have left all and followed him, right? And so I can vouch for this and say that God takes care of us whenever we follow him, whenever we take care of the things of God. Okay? Another verse that I, another passage that I have here, 
to look at is in uh, Luke chapter number 12. Luke chapter 12 and verse 16. It says, And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? So Jesus is teaching a parable to try to get a principle across to them. And so the rich man has planted, and God has rewarded him bountifully. He has a problem here. He has so much stuff that he doesn't have room to store it. It's a good problem to have, isn't it? So he says, I don't know what to do. I've just got so much stuff. In verse 18, and he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years, Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall these things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And so what is the point to all of that? Does that mean that we can't provide for the future? No, that's not the purpose at all. There is nothing wrong with us having retirement, having uh, savings, having things laid up for the future. Uh, that is wise. It is prudent, right? But what we see in this is the attitude of the man that he had an abundance. He had more than what he could ever use, and he kept it all for himself. This is him saying, like, like a little child, mine, right? Mine. I'm going to dig and scratch and pull together everything that I can, all of it for me, and who cares about the things of God? Who cares about the people who might be in need or the people that I could help or using the things that God has blessed me with to being a blessing to others? I am going to amass everything to myself. And so I said at the beginning of this, this has to do with not just possessions, but with time, with talents, with all of this. What is our attitude toward the things that God has given us? Say, this is my time. I'm going to use this for me. Have you ever said of uh, the things of God, I don't have time for that? I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to read the Bible. I don't have time to go to church. I don't have time to be a blessing to someone else. I don't have time. But what do we have time for? Facebook, YouTube, Netflix, right? And so we have time for the things that we want to have time for. It shows our priority, right? Our talents, I'm going to use this for me. Look at the things that I am able to do. Not that God has blessed me. He's given me the health and the ability and the intelligence to do these things. But this is my talents. This is my abilities. I'm going to use this, these for my good and for my increase, right? The money that I have, 
I'm going to use this to make more money. I'm going to use this to buy more things. I'm going to use this to increase myself. I'm going to do this because, hey, money buys happiness, right? And so we look at all of these things that are blessings of God as being our own rather than them being blessings of God that God has given us to serve him and to be a blessing to others, right? And so for us as Christians, this is our challenge in looking at this. If we want to be spiritually healthy, if we want to see ourselves grow, we need to have the right attitude, the right perspective on the blessings of God. We need to see our lives as not our own, but as being a gift from God. We need to be seeing the things that we have as not our own, but as blessings from God, which we can use to be a blessing to others, which we can use to benefit the kingdom of God, which we can use to lay up treasures in heaven rather than just trying to pile it up in a mass down here. And so I'm hoping that I'm kind of building a comparison in your mind about the way that society and man's mind typically works toward things versus the way that the Bible teaches us to think about them. Okay? The typical man says, I'm going to amass all I can. I'm going to uh, live life to its fullest, right? And make it all about me. It's hollow. It's empty. It's futile. But whenever we put God first and we see our things as a gift from God, that we can steward for his glory, for his good, then we can start being generous, right? Generous with our time, generous with our talents, generous with our finances, our possessions and things. And we can start taking those and using them for God's glory and for the good of others. And here's the, the, the big takeaway from all of this. Whenever we do this, have the right perspective and start using these things to be a blessing to others and to glorify God, then God is going to come along behind us and take care of us, provide for us, and fill in all of those gaps that we're never going to be able to on our own. Right? And so with this, it's a matter of, do we trust him to take care of us? Can I let go of some of these things realizing that I'm not actually losing these things, I am investing them, right? And that God is going to bring a return on my investment. Can I trust him with my needs, with my future, with my children? Because if not, we're going to spend a lot of time worrying, a lot of time working, a lot of time struggling for all of the wrong reasons for all the wrong things. And I know I said I wanted this to be interactive. I wanted y'all to, to to talk some too and I haven't shut up long enough for you to talk. But what are some of your thoughts on this? Anyone have any thoughts? <clears throat> what keeps Christians from having this mindset?
Okay. Also, I'm thinking that uh, at times when things do arise, that we have become used to thinking, oh, well, I'll do it. And we forget that the smallest thing we can entrust to God mm -hmm. to fix it. So mm -hmm. we come up with our daily walk and we get into this routine of our daily lives in it. And mm -hmm. we sort of do inclined to just want to sort it out ourselves and we forget that God is there. Mm -hmm. And that plays a part in, in a lot of the problems that we face in our lives is that we only look to God for the big things. Yeah. We only look to God whenever it gets out of our control because we say, this is mine. I can handle it. I can take care of it. And we don't see it as a relationship, a partnership with God, right? What are some of the negative uh, negative results that come about whenever we get our focus wrong? What happens whenever we get our eyes off of God and we get it on this world and on our possessions and on increasing here below? Wrong decisions. Okay. We make wrong decisions. What kind of wrong decisions? We can, we can be hasty when we have to wait on the Lord or when the decision is to maybe you'll just make the decision and sometimes thinking it's the right one but then it's not the right one. Okay. And the decisions that we're making, we're making with the wrong priority in mind, right? Okay. You get angry. A lot of times you get angry with God because you see it one way and you say, this is the way things are supposed to work out. And why isn't God making this work? Why is God allowing this in my life? That's because you've tried to act independently of him all along, right? What impact does it have on our families? Okay. There's been lots of you realize that one of the main reasons for divorce, one of the main reasons for divorce in the world today, this is universally transcends culture, everything. Okay. Okay. So selfishness in that, right? But see, what happens in what you're talking about there with marriage is I'm expecting them to fulfill my need and they're expecting me to fulfill their need. And so there's unmet expectations, right? And so you are looking for that other person to give you only what only God can do. And so it's not a love relationship. It's a transaction. Because love says, uh, I'm looking out for that person, for their need, and how can I... Take care of them, not how can they take care of me, right? And so that is a, a huge problem with getting the their perspective wrong. Uh, what I was uh, getting at there earlier, though, as a major thing that causes divorce, though, and that wrong perspective definitely does, okay? But what couples fight over probably more than anything is money, right? Is money. 
They fight over the finances because they are seeking to build something. They're seeking to amass something. They're seeking to grow something, and they're not getting what they're wanting. And it creates tension in the relationship, and it creates fighting, right? And so we were talking about negative outcomes for wrong perspectives. Whenever we make this life about amassing, about getting, about mammon, materialism, it's going to cause the relationships to fall apart. We're going to prioritize the wrong thing. We're going to prioritize things over people, right? We're going to be putting ourselves first, as Anna was talking about there. What's in it for me? And so this challenges us for growth. If we want to be spiritually healthy, if we want to grow, we need to trust God to take care of us. Trust that his way is best and that it is good, that he is capable of giving us everything that we need, making our way prosper if we seek him first. Right? And so that's another thing that you've been given by God is your health, is your body, is your strength, and you aren't being a good steward of it if you're allowing all these stresses and all these things. And so you're taking something that God has given to be a blessing and you are wasting it by not trusting him, right? We have anything else? It's also interesting people that are, like even in your household, you know, if you're making wrong decisions, your children are watching you too. Mm -hmm. So that can have an effect on them too. It can be generational. Yeah. Yeah, so we need we need people that are modeling this. We need people that we can uh, learn from, you know, good godly parents that's going to model it before the kids where they are truly seeking God first and trusting Him to take care of them. They are prioritizing the things of God over the things of this life and over this world, right? They are investing the things that God has given them in eternal things rather than temporal things, right? Prioritizing people over things, over possessions, right? Prioritizing God over all things, right? And so it's a complete different way of looking at things, but we have the promise of God that he's going to take care of us. One final verse here and we'll be done. In Malachi, this is one that's often used, maybe abused, but it is a, a huge blessing whenever we see it in the right light. Malachi chapter number three. The people had people of Israel had not trusted God, had not leaned on God and sought him first. They were trying to do like we're talking about here. They were seeking their way in this world. They were trying to gain and get wealth and all these things. And they were not trusting God. And under the law, God had required them to give certain things to him with the expectation that, okay, if I give to God, God's going to take care of me. If I prioritize his things first, if I prioritize giving my tithes, offerings, all these things, God's going to take care of 
my finances and my needs, right? That was a promise that he had made them in the Old Testament and the law. And so Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 10, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith. So he's telling the people of Israel, he's saying, put me to a test. I told you that if you are going to uh, obey my law, if you're going to live by my statutes, by my principles, then I'm going to take care of you and I'm going to bless. You haven't trusted me to do that, so now put me to the test. Try me out and see if I won't do what I told you I was going to do. So he says, prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time of, before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And the nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. And so what he is telling the people of Israel, he says, I told you, if you will follow me, if you'll trust me, and you will be generous toward me, that I'm going to take care of you in every aspect in your life. You didn't trust me. You've tried to do it all on your own. Here, put me to the test. Seek me first for a little while and see if I don't take care of you. And while he's saying that to the people of Israel, and it's talking about bringing the tithes to the storehouse and stuff, while he's saying that to the people of Israel, that is a principle that still applies today. That if we are putting God first, he can make things work in our favor. Just as he can make their crops yield abundantly, just as he can protect them from their enemies, he can make their, uh, their things last. The devourer would be rebuked away from them. All these things, just as he could do that to them, he can still do that to us, right? And so there are so many ways that he can take care of us, but it is all on this condition that we see our lives not as our own, but as a gift for God, and we steward those things for God's glory rather than for our own. So, last chance, anything else? Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer. We'll take a break, and we'll jump into the, the next service. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. We thank you so much for these things that we've talked about this morning. I pray, Lord, that uh, these these thoughts, these words have come out in a way that uh, resonate with people, that make sense, that encourage them, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us, Lord, to have the right perspective on the blessings that you've given us. Lord, that we entrust you with our lives and with our futures. And Lord, that we can just set out to serve you now and allow you to take care of uh, what will happen uh, on down the road. Lord, I just pray that you would uh, help us, Lord, to to root out these uh uh, ungodly perspectives, Lord, and these wrong ways of seeking uh, uh, through this life, Lord, where oftentimes or the, the treasures that have our heart is not you, Lord. And Lord, we just thank you so much for all that you do. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Mm -hmm. Amen.